Let's drop the green flag on this episode of the Talent Tank Podcast with your host, Wyatt Pemberton, bringing you the best, fastest, most knowledgeable personalities in Ultra 4 and off-road racing. King of the Hammers 2020, the Talent Tank. We got another installment. We've got Joe Thompson with UFO Fab. Joe, what a beautiful day. Gorgeous day. Actually, it's hot out here even, but I hear the cold's coming. Well, <clears throat> I'll tell you what the way it is. I don't like the wind. I don't like the cold, so it's perfect. Stop with the W word. Yeah. <laughs> knocking, I'm knocking on this director chair. It's wood, I swear. Yeah, we've been blessed for two days, but I hear the wind's coming tomorrow. Might be good for race day. Well, Joe, thank you for coming on, man. A lot of people don't necessarily know who Joe Thompson is, but they certainly will recognize the cars. Your cars are very unique. There's no no one out there making cars that look like yours. Uh, definitely, I started with a clean sheet. I did not want to copy anybody else's car, not because I didn't want to copy them, but because I felt like I had a different path that was hopefully going to work better. A different way to skin the cat. Correct. So... Joe's cars are all center mount, center drivers, except for you ha- You do have a two-seater out there, but they're single-seaters where the driver sits centered in the cockpit. And right. we're going to go into why that is here in a little bit, but uh, uh, yeah, very unique, unique cars. Joe, you're out of California? Yeah, Northern California in Grass Valley, just between uh, Lake Tahoe and Sacramento, right in the middle. And a lot of the cars that you have built lately have gone to the Gomez Brothers. I've got... Um, uh, three to the Gomez brothers, plus a bunch of work on other stuff they have, um, and the others are to other customers. Do you prep their cars? I do not. Yeah. but it, And they're close to you, though. They're like 100 miles away, something like yeah, that. Yeah, they're close. They're about 45 minutes away, and I do spend a lot of time there. I go and help them out when they need something. They We do lots of repair work for them. They're pretty tough on equipment, so you know, we help them out when we can. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're, they're close by, and, and we do a lot of work with them. Just, just That's the only cars we built for them. So what was your path into being your own owner operator entrepreneurial fabricator what was your path you're you're older than me i can tell yep. i'm not i'm not I'm 49 uh, you're 49, 49. Yep. I'm, I'm 43 i wasn't saying you're geriatric but i yeah, can tell I that you're the, 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 hey come the, on i'm in pretty good shape man give me some give me some credit here now <laughs> no you you do look like um, a very fit individual so uh yeah so I, I mean i got a late start in cars for sure i didn't get a late start in fabrication but i got a late start in cars um, fabrication wise, I, I was, I started at a very early age. I had a lot of really good people around me, people I worked for at a, at a young age that were really good. So, um, that helped me a lot. And the guys I did work for were there, they were uncompromising. You know, I had a couple bosses that were, it was their way or no way. And they had their reasons and I didn't understand it then. I mean, I understand it now, but, uh, you know, I definitely apply that to what I'm doing now. What kind of fabrication were you doing? Just steel fab, structural fab? So I started off doing like a process gas lines, which is like a high purity stainless stuff, TIG okay. welding. Um, you know, and then lots of TIG welding jobs, you know, in between there as I was kind of cutting my teeth. Um, I actually bought my first TIG welder when I was working at a bike shop, you know, and I bought it a little Miller Star, you know, 110 TIG welder. And I was just welding in literally, no joke, I had an apartment, and I conned a garage, an actual enclosed garage space from the landlord, and because uh, none, none of the stalls were enclosed except for one, and I literally put a plug into the light bulb on the top, and that's how <laughs> I ran the TIG welder. So I go down there, I practice at night, you know, and, and just weld, 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 and 
not really knowing what I was doing, but I read a lot, and, and I, had, it, I had good people around me, too, that I was copying. So, I, you know, good fabricators that I was able to kind of pull stuff from. And at that time, you were mostly working on uh, mountain bikes? Just bicycles, yeah. yeah. I was, you know, my yeah. brother and I both raced bikes for a long time. So, I raced in, in, until I was 28-ish, you know, professionally, and then... uh you know, um, I also, I built some bikes and so you've been bitten by the bug in the competition for a long time. Yeah. I've always been a competitor, always been a racer. I don't get to drive out here very much, but I definitely love driving. Definitely love competing, whatever. It doesn't really matter what it is, but yeah. isn't there a little bit of, you know, you said you didn't get to drive out here, but isn't there a little, a little bit or a lot of pride in seeing your babies do good? Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. That's kind of funny. Um, so when I watch like the brothers race, for example, they're, they're so tough on cars. I get more anxiety watching them than I do being in the car on my own. I get in the car, I'm completely calm. I'm not, I don't get frazzled. I'm not breathing heavy. I'm not like uh, nervous. I enjoy being in the car, but when I'm outside the car watching is much tougher for me. And yeah, I, I am proud. That. So when they do finish well, I am, I am yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a pride moment, I guess. I remember uh, a race where one of the, one of the brothers yard sailed end over end over end in front of everybody. Texas, I believe. It was, it was. Yeah, he never lifted brutal yeah nosed off and just yeah. how many times you go into ring like seven or eight that was a lot and yeah. the car was looked visually looked pretty fine well it was it was hurt it was hurt so he he hurt the nose and he hurt the tail so he got lucky in a nose tail crash because those ends take a lot of you know they absorb a lot Maybe. of junk right um so he didn't land like hard on the roof for example okay um but anyway yeah so but the actual we put it back on the frame fixture the jig the car, the bulkhead, the main cab, A pillars, B pillars were all dead straight. Nothing, no Nothing problem there. Moved. Nothing moved at all. That's a uh, testament. Yeah. So we try hard. Like I, I overbuild compared to other guys. I follow the rule book uh, very strictly, and um, and I will. When it comes to their occupant safety, there's things I do that that other people are not doing. That not that they're not being safe. They are following the rules too. I'm saying that I just kind of. It's your different take on. I go. Things. I go a little extra. I mean, I don't want to. You know, get hurt in a car. Right. I don't want anybody else to get hurt in a car either. Now, one thing that I saw in looking over the car that you brought out here today was how quickly you can service the car. It's really set up very well for prep. Yeah. And one of the really cool things I saw, and I will, I'll share this on social media as well, uh, with your permission, of course, oh, yeah, is yeah. the how you've mounted your seats to cut the seat to come out so quickly, so you can access the transmission yep. so quickly, and it's you know. Showing your your mountain bike background, yeah. it, your seat mounts look like upside down bicycle forks. Correct. That this in the seat has a stud, and the seat drops into that stud drops into that bicycle fork, upside yep. inverted and bicycle fork, and then tightens in. Yep. There's a little safety pocket, sweet. so even if the bolt's loose, the seat can't come out. So even if someone messed up and like didn't tighten the bolts, the seat will never come out of there. And it's so. it's one of those. It's that extra little different take on doing the same thing that really i looked in that cockpit of that car that set it apart i was like wow that's that's impressive the other little thing just walking around the car that i thought found so impressive was how you do your spare tire mount yeah and there's no straps over the top to nope. break or lose or get loose or if you get punted for them to break and you lose the spare you run a ratchet strap a very heavy duty one up from below the tire through the center yep and then you have like a t-handle that has studs in it that point down yep and you drop those dowels those little t it's like they're, a mach they're machined to fit the bore of the you know the the, uh, the bore of the wheel the stud you know the, the wheel stud and hold. you set it in there and it has the 
the strap and the strap pulls it down through the center of the wheel and there's no way that thing is going anywhere ever unless you release the ratchet strap from yeah, below. Yeah, no, it's it's solid. It doesn't it goes nowhere. It's a it's a really cool and beautiful take it's on. It's easy to to take on and off too. So all the cars have a uh, you know we include a breaker bar with the car. Um, it does a couple things. It, it, we have a quick change belt setup that we designed also. So the the breaker bar does the tire and the belt and the belts and the studs wheel studs all the same. You know it does all of them as needed. So sim- simplicity and yeah. by that by doing that you keep weight down on the car. Yeah, well, our cars are our cars are heavier though compared to most cars. I mean, we're generally about a couple hundred pounds more than maybe some of your bigger cars like fully outfitted with fuel and a driver and a spare tire you know they're they're 50 600 pounds you know they're 50 800 pounds they're they're where do that you makes th- them good in the desert though so where, where do you think you pick up in value pick up in weight versus versus the field you know i think i definitely if you take the skins off our cars and take a skin off another competitor like there's more steel in yours no offense to shannon because shannon builds a badass car you take shannon's skins off there's no tubes there you know he definitely he is a he builds for himself though he is a racer so when he builds a car, if he damaged it, he's fine with cutting a tube out and putting a new tube in. That's, that's a you know a, a competitive racer's mentality. Um, a lot of the guys that I'm selling to though don't have the ability to do that you know on a regular basis to constantly maintain their car. Or you have guys like the Gomez brothers who are really tough on cars, and you have to build them just a. We have to build them a car that's as tough as we can make it. You know, literally a sledgehammer with a seat attached to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we definitely uh, the weight is in the cage. You know, for us. We have a lot more tubes in there. You like I say, take the skins off. We have a lot more tubes, a lot more triangulation, a lot more support in key areas. But uh, well, I think it's key that you say that in the sense that the components going onto the chassis for all, all the competitors same. are the same. Yeah, it's engine transmission transfer case. It's yeah, uh, dri- you know, drive shafts. It's the oil coolers. It's the radiator. It's every you know, everyone has the same amount of stuff yep for, for lack of better words or elegant words stuff and they have just a different size bag they're trying to fit it in yep i i would love someday someday it probably would be for myself because you know i'm uh, able to do it as if I'm, if I'm my own customer i'd love to build a really lightweight car one day but a lightweight car poses a couple issues and that is they don't go as good through the rough you know they don't have that mass to keep them planted so um and that's just that's that's the argument between sprung weight, unsprung yep. weight, forty yep. inch tires going up and down it's versus the ratio the weight of the between the two. So that's the biggest thing is the split ratio between the two of them. So if you've got a big split difference, your chassis weight is high and your tire weight is low, it's gonna bomb through the desert like a rocket. You know, if it's the other way around, if the if the weights are closer to each other, that ratio is smaller. It'll buck and kick all over the place. It, they fight each other. Yep. You really need some, you need one side of the equation to leverage the other side, and it doesn't really matter which. Right. But we kind of know that a 40-inch tire on a wheel, mount, you know, on yep. an IFS, you split it half on the, the length of the, the arms. That's kind of what your mass is. And everyone, if you're all building the same, that's you can't really change that value. Right. But what you can change is the, uh, the sprung weight. I don't stress about weight too much. I mean, obviously, I'm not trying to build the whole thing on a quarter-inch plate. But I definitely, I mean, I try my best to, to pair weight where I can, where it's safe, and, and it's not going to be a structural uh, issue later on. Um, you know, but I still try and build it durable enough to be, take a beating. And then you've taken, you know, the idea of your, of your concept of your first car, and now you've got eight of them out there. Is that right? And yep. you've, you've made some changes? They, they're all different, except for the two first two twins. Those two are basically identical, parts interchange between them, that kind of stuff. The rest of them have all been different little refinements through each one of them. I, I, it's probably a problem of mine because I am a, a 
perfectionist and I want to evolve as much as possible. And as you learn new things and change new things. Now, is yeah. there the ability to take a car, you know, that was built number three, like the Gomez IFS IRS car and refine it with current 2020 Joe Thompson, Joe Thompson stuff? Yeah. So the car, actually the car behind us here, that one is, I feel is my evolution from those cars. There's some suspension differences. There's some packaging differences. Um, and I honestly, I look at it, I, I lay in bed every night. I don't know what I can really improve. When it, there's some drivetrain stuff I can improve. There's some some things that are out of my um, you know box of things that I'm building that can be improved by outside vendors maybe. Um, but as far as the car, I don't really know what I can do more to improve it, except for maybe drop some weight or well, I don't I know. S- Packaging wise, I, I can't. I don't know. I, do I did see one really cool thing on this car that that I hadn't seen. I know they're obviously out there, but you helped them get there was RCV. Yeah. Uh, the relationship with RCV, you used to, you know, you would run the 934 inner CV with a Dana 60 outer bell. And on this car, I looked at it and was like. Our RCV has been huge. Honestly, I really, I remember calling them way back in the day and they didn't know who I was. And I, I had to really, um, I'm not saying they were hesitant because they, they've been awesome. I'm saying that I had to like, you know, pull some, Hey, I know this guy's to try and get them to kind of take me seriously, you know? And then, uh, once the two cars were built and they, they built me new, you know, the outer CVs on the first twin cars, the first Gomez cars, they were custom to, you know, to my specs. And then, um, you know, after those, they've, they've, they've really stepped up and, you know, and the equivalent is it's like a two and a half ton. It's a series 30 outer CV with, with their spherical boot and <sighs> knock on wood. None of the cars we've run have ever lost a CV, which is, I don't know anybody who can really say that, honestly. Well, I just had that conversation a few weeks ago with Jason Shearer about yeah. when he lost two of his, and I've lo- I lost numerous yeah. on mine, and they're, they suck. And we did lose a CV uh, at Ridgecrest. Uh, JP lost his rear diff, and he drove the entire last lap in front-wheel drive only. Funny, these T1 guys were like, oh, you know, if you break you break your rear drive line, just shift it into, you know, leave it in four-wheel drive. You, these all-wheel drive trucks that are coming out, they're in all-wheel drive. If you've ever driven one of these cars only in front-wheel drive, they don't go. No, they're hard. And so uh, he he just abused that car to the end, and he tore some boots, blasting through brush and stuff to try and keep momentum. You know, like he couldn't take a turn, had to just wing it, you know, whatever, yeah. and tore some boots. But when he came back to the pits, or when he came across the finish line, um, the CVs, the balls, the cage were all intact. Like there was nothing broken whatsoever, and there was they were covered in dirt and dust, smoking. They were literally smoldering, and uh, but he made the finish line. They didn't. They never broke. You know, so in service heat treating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, the, yeah, those guys are tough on stuff. But it, that said, pr- proving out and proving and having faith in the components you're putting in the car, and if you are choosing based on who your customers are, you're choosing to put things in their cars that yeah. you know will stand up to them and they'll stand up to everybody yeah yeah and there are some things i mean i have to you know give the shop and and you know we have a lot of time into engineering that front geometry i mean like i said when i built those cars i had that front end designed five years previous you know um it was just sitting on my computer the entire time and so i i have done some different things compared to what everybody else is doing my geometry is fairly middle of the road as far as the way it works but there are some things in the geometry that help the CVs live, live, you know? Well, I really like your arms. Your arm design is, you know, it's a little 
fashion forward, so to speak, uh, in the sense that it... A lot of guys don't like them. They don't like them at all. I I like them for the sense that a lot of guys are running fabricated steel, plated, you know, plated arms, upper, lower. And if you take one rock hit, you ding it, it folds up like origami. Yeah. It's, you you throw them away and you got to replace them. Yours are really heavy wall tube and you plate between the tube. Yep. Yep. So there's internal bracing on those, on those tubes. So I do both types. I do do a box type and I do do a tubular type as well. In my personal opinion, the tubular type is definitely a tougher arm. Like it's the anvil in a rubber room. It's tough. You can't, you're not really going to break them. The box one has some advantages, you know, as far as how they're built, the ease of building. The tubular ones are actually harder because it's a lot of handwork. Whereas the, the, the box arms that they're laser cut and they're, you know, it's a, it's a puzzle. You put it together, you know, so from a production standpoint, the box arms are easier, but from a, a pure toughness standpoint, the tubular ones are, they're definitely tougher. So let's talk about you for a second and your shop, UFO fabrication, Grass Valley, California. You a one, one man, one man band. I think you built at least so, the first two <clears throat> twins, those twins in a two car garage by yourself. Yeah. So uh, one man band originally. And two-car garage, you know, out, out of my house, uh, went through, like, three girlfriends, you know, in that time building the twins, you know. Uh, nobody wanted to hang out, you know, while I was in the shop all day. So that was kind of funny. And, uh, yeah, just the uh, sacrifices. Yeah, the sacrifices, right. You know, we're building these cars. So we're doing. Yeah, built them out. You know, I had good machinery, you know, but but still. It was small space, but it was good for me. It was intimate. I was able to work when I wanted to, I would walk right in, have a bowl of cereal or go to bed at two in the morning, get up when I wanted to and keep working. And I I like that, you know, I like being able to kind of have that flexibility. Well, I think there's some efficiencies of scale that happen when you're in such a small space. It's like if you, when you lose that 10 millimeter, it's, it can't be more than four or five steps away versus in my shop, I I lose whatever was in my hand three seconds ago. It may be 10,000 steps from where I'm at. Yeah, no, I, I, it's definitely, being in a small spot, you have to be real efficient with what you're putting away. You can't just pull stuff out and leave it out and then take one quarter of another because then you can't even move in your shop. You know, it's like a parkour, you know, course, you know, out there. Um, but it's, I definitely keep it nice and clean and tidy, you know. And that's a mindset. I mean, once you get into that mindset and if you're applying that to your shop, you can tell, I can see where you've applied that to your cars, that everything has its place and everything in its yeah. place. So I'm not a super neat freak. It's funny because you say it because I'm not a super neat freak. I mean, my house is clean, my room is clean, my car is clean, the shop is clean, but it's not like some guys where it's like, you know, regimented perfect. However, the cars, the stuff I build, I definitely feel that I apply that to there. You know, that I don't want to compromise. I like it. I like it. So what's the next steps for you? What's the next steps for UFO Fab? Honestly, we're just looking at a bunch of drivetrain refinements that we want to do. And that's, that's the biggest thing, honestly, because we're, we're starting to see some limits, you know, of some of the drivetrain parts. Uh, everyone who's been supplying them has been awesome to help keep that curve going, but we definitely are seeing some limits for sure. Hitting some plateaus. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff on the cars, like the, the drive lines and axles. We don't break any of that stuff. You know, we don't break transfer cases. Transmissions are typical. You know, you have a transmission that last. 10 races and never have a problem and you get a new one and it lasts one race and you don't know why, you know? So trainees are, I think are always gonna be that way until we have a big step in technology there. Diffs are an issue for everyone. So, you know, there's definitely gonna be some drivetrain stuff that I, th- I feel needs to be pushed further in order for the cars to be better. I, I don't disagree with you. You, yeah. you walked through Hammertown last night today yeah. and there's a lot of transmission carnage. Yep. Already just yep. pre-running. 
Yep. And I don't know what that next level, where, where that next. Uh, the brothers said to me last night at dinner, they're like, can we get a uh, sequential six speed in there? And I said, well, it's sequential. So when you want to go to reverse, you can't. You know, you have to start to turn the car off and, you know, whatever. Uh, so they didn't really understand that at, at first. But once they realized they couldn't switch gears, that, that was, then they understood. Right. No, man. Joe, thank you for coming on. Yeah. Did I cover everything? You cover everything you want to talk about today? Yeah. Yeah. It was good. a very condensed session. And I know you're a guy that we can talk tech and get deep in it. I'll for, keep going for, forever. For hours. Yeah. But I want to give, uh, give our viewers of, uh, the live feed and you know my cool. viewers on the, the talent tank podcast a little view into the tech mind that's bolted onto joe thompson's shoulders and what he's got going with his just so unique so out of the box different design and you've really taken I, i'm not gonna say you've created in a vacuum but you have somewhat created in a vacuum and that's when i look at your stuff i, I believe you had to have created in a vacuum but they're like these nice refreshing refinements on age-old designs that we'd been doing it for a very long time and I, I definitely i definitely have had my eyes open on everybody out here over the years so i'm not saying it's a lot of designs are refinements of what i've seen you know and from some amazing fabricators that are out here so yeah mousetrap is a mousetrap is a mousetrap but you can always refine yep. that mousetrap and you have found different and new and creative and more lightweight or more robust ways yep. to build that mousetrap well i good luck to all your cars this week here at the hammers Thank you for stopping in down here at Laser Town. Thank you, Cody Wagner, for uh, yeah, letting thanks. us park it, park out here on his uh, compound. I mean, they're landing helicopters over here during know, the middle. Crazy. of they're, they're refueling helicopters down here in the middle of uh, our interview. It's. Uh, I feel pretty humbled to be here. Honestly, it's like I, I never expected. You know, six years ago to be sitting here in an interview in the middle of the desert with race cars, and yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Beautiful yeah, weather. I'm soaking it's it up. Awesome. Well, awesome. Boom. All right, man. We're out. Okay. Thank you for listening and taking a dive into The Talent Tank. Please like and subscribe on Instagram at The Talent Tank or our website, thetalenttank.com.